This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Sports Biz Pod. Thank you for tuning into this episode. And we are welcoming a very special guest, Nicole Jeter West. And she is currently the head of marketing and brand engagement for the LA 2028 Olympic and Paralympic Games coming up. So it's a big, exciting project upcoming in the next eight years. And previously, Nicole has held positions at GM of Legends for the Paralympic and Olympic properties, also USTA and the New York Knicks. So she's very well versed into the sports industry. And I want to welcome you on. So thank you for coming on, Nicole. How are you doing? Hey, Nick. Hi. Wonderful for um, being on and excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So to start things off, just how is everything going? It's been a crazy year, but just how, how are you doing? Do, doing as well as, as can be expected. I think everyone is just trying to uh, find their way through in this new uh, world we're in, but um, really thankful and grateful for all the, the good things that are happening and, and how our, um, our families are doing and hope, hope everyone on your side is safe and well. Thank you for that. And uh, to, to before we kind of jump into things, I just I'm curious, you know, uh, for sports and how, how you kind of got initially interested in that. I know you're holding a really interesting position now with uh, the Olympic Games coming up in Los Angeles. But what was that initial spark for you to want to work in sports? Well, my initial spark, I would say, is probably playing sports myself. Um, just, you know, youth sports was a big component of my childhood growing up. Um, I paid every sport there was. Uh, so um, I didn't play them all well, but I played every sport there was um, because it, it would allow me to stay active and, and gave me something positive to be doing. And so um, that's where the, the initial love of sport came from. And then really, as I got into uh, my time in college and, and started learning more around marketing and wanting to be in that space, um, I realized that there was actually a business to the sport. Um, and that, that, that would allow me to marriage, you know, together two components that I had a lot of passion for. And so marketing as well as, um, sport. And so the ability to work within that space was exciting and, um, coming out of school, I had the opportunity to do that for the New York Knicks. And that is really what sparked everything. And, um, ultimately was led me to probably 20 plus years of, um, my career in sports now. That's great. What, what sports did you play? Oh gosh, everything from basketball to volleyball, um, discus throwing, mm-hmm. uh, javelin, uh, yeah, softball. It it, it varies, um, but yeah, if, anything and everything that would keep me active and, and busy. That's great. And and then when you started off at the Knicks, were, are you from New York area? Was that your favorite team growing up? And 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 uh, kind of things aligned. I did. I did. I grew up in the New York area, and um, it was my favorite basketball team. Um, and actually, a a, a high school friend of mine um, ended up joining the Knicks um, and soon after um, when I graduated just offered up the opportunity that that I should uh, consider it Um, 
And it's funny because I was actually going to try and just go and work for a, a New York ad agency instead. And, um, and once this opportunity came along, I said, well, I, there's a lot of ad agencies. There's only one New York next. And so um, I said, let's give that a, sh- let's give that a shot. And so that was the start. And uh, I've been, I've been in sports ever since. That's great. So, so you went from the New York Knicks and then you've done some other work with legends, USTA. Could you talk about that kind of process of getting from the Knicks to kind of where you are right now? Yeah. You know, throughout my career, I think there's been some real ebbs and flows of just um, you're in different life cycles. And so depending on what life cycle you're in, it, it offers opportunity for you to try different aspects of the sports business. And so um, the USTA was very different from the Knicks in that the USTA is a nonprofit organization, um, very much focused on building the sport of tennis throughout the United States, um, very much focused on, you know, helping to make sure that anyone who, who wants to play tennis has the access to do so. And so you take a different approach than maybe a for-profit organization. Um, and so it allowed me to still work in the sports industry, but have a very different perspective. Um, the U.S. Open being the biggest, what we would call bake sale ever, which is, um, you know, an event that ultimately is, is one of the most world-renowned events. And all of that money is really focused on how do we help build and grow the sport of tennis and give that back to the community. Um, and so that, that was sort of one life cycle or aspect of, of my career. And then having the ability to transition um, and go into Legends, which is an agency platform. Um, very different than being on the brand side at the Knicks or at the USTA, um, where we had lots of clients um, across all different sports um, and had the ability to work across hospitality, sponsorship, um, you know, the ability to help be part of programs like building SoFi Stadium. Um, And and so Legends and and working with them gave me the agency side of the business. Um, And then, you know, having the Olympics um, for LA 28 be part and Paralympics be part of the legends clientele. Um, I got to start working on that project. And then ultimately that shifted to me joining the LA 2018. That's great. Uh, thank you for that, that background. So, you know, with sports, it's really interesting where it's like a community asset where it's like, if you're a fan of that team or league, you felt like, feel like you're an owner into the team. And that's kind of, um, it, it's nothing like that in any other industry, but with the LA 28 Olympics, it's, you know, you're, you know, LA is a prime market, prime community to host it. So what is the planning process? Like, I know we're eight years away, but I'm sure there's a million things going on. Like, what does that look like right now in the early stages? And maybe you could hint at, you know, the progression once it gets closer to the event. I mean, LA 28 games is going to be such a special moment. It's going to be a special moment for Los Angeles, but it's also going to be a special moment for all of the United States. Um, you know, the ability for us to be the host of these historic games, for us to have um, the Paralympics for the very first time in LA. Um, th- this will be the third time we hope we'll host the Olympics, but this will be the very first time that we actually host the Paralympics in LA. And so it's an opportunity for us to um, invite the world to, to be part of this experience and for us to play host to athletes and fans and and to really bring the community along for what will be a, you know, a historic moment. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what's really unique with this is we already have the, you know, the infrastructure of these stadiums where if you go to a different country, a lot of times they build it and it, it could sometimes almost go to waste. How did, does that go into the planning at all? Or is that kind of, you know, you're, you're focused on the marketing side of it, but how does that affect it at all with us just already having, you know, the infrastructure? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, you know, we have the ability to focus on creating an amazing experience because we're not building any permanent buildings. Um, we're not building any permanent venues. And so, as you said, um, a lot of times that's where a lot of the energy and efforts are put towards um, for the host committees, but we have the ability to really focus on what that experience is for athletes, for fans. And then we focus on how does that actually show up in the LA community and how can we make sure that we are thinking through those things to make the best experience for the people of LA, as well as for the visitors that we will ask to participate and be part of the games. And so it gives us the ability to leave a larger legacy than just to have buildings, but actually to leave a legacy behind that will make an impact, such as the stuff that we are doing with you sports and our commitment that we've made there. That's great. So to um, kind of launch this brand, I know it's, you know, you can't necessarily market anything until you have the brand and you guys recently launched the brand um, in a really unique fashion. And could you kind of break that down with the collaboration that you did with the different artists and how that kind of rolled out um, as a unit? Yeah, we had over 26 um, creators, a creators that we joined and collaborated with on helping to roll out the emblem. Uh, the emblem is one that is made for the digital age. It is diverse and dynamic. Um, it actually represents the ability to showcase the diversity of LA and all that LA brings. And so all of the many cultures and the stories and the people that represent LA. And so there's not one LA. And so therefore there's not really one emblem either um, for us to properly represent the city or the community. And so we were able to make sure that we had this very dynamic A that would showcase those stories and that, this, the, that it's not just about having a piece of artwork, but it's actually about telling the stories behind that. And that each person brings a unique perspective to the city of LA and that that ability is really what allows it to be so unique and different. And we wanna celebrate those differences. And um, we think that's what makes it so special to have, uh, you know, a, for LA to host the Olympics and Paralympics. And it, it's really what's going to make it such a unique experience from any other games. Mm -hmm. Could you could you give an example of like maybe one of the specific pieces of art or um, logos? Was it like a mural on the side of a wall or could you kind of give a little example of how maybe one of them was unveiled? Yeah, so all of our, all of the artworks were unveiled um, from a video perspective across all of our platforms. Uh, but we also, because they're dynamic in nature, um, really video is pr the primary focus. Mm -hmm. There's definitely wall murals that were placed around the city. Um, and those are also were static, but then there were all actual um, AR experiences mm -hmm. that we did through Snap. And so we had Snapchat um, as our co-partner in, in developing those. And we were able to have those augmented reality experiences come to life. And so a great example was Stephen Harrington was one of the um, A creators that we worked with. He's an LA artist and he was able to create this really unique world um, through his art. And you could see that come to life and actually experience that by going in and using the QR code and seeing that artwork kind of take over and move and be part of the shapes and everything that took place there. Um, I'd say, you know, the ability to have the 
emblem be dynamic is one that is really focused on the digital age and this sort of generation Z and generation alpha demographic that's so important to us, um, knowing that we're talking about an event that's gonna be eight years out. And so our target and demo um, is really somebody, someone who's much younger today. And so we need to make sure that we're connecting with them and that we have a, a strong connection with that age group today so that we can help build and grow that relationship over the next eight years. Um, and so we've really focused on being digitally led and we've really also focused on making sure that we're working with others to collaborate and not only focusing on sort of what we bring to the table, but looking for others in the community to help be part of that story and part of that experience. Love that, especially with the virtual, virtual reality, augmented reality, that's kind of the trend going forward. Was that in the playbook or is that something that you guys had to come up with um, after like COVID-19 kind of shut down in-person events or was that kind of already something you were pre-planning to, to roll out with the, you know, the AR experiences? Yeah, it's funny because um, I think what we were so excited about is that a lot of our planning and our thinking was done and, and has been in place for months prior. Mm -hmm. And so the focus on being digitally led really came from the fact that we wanted to reach a younger demographic. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those things were already in place. We definitely did some shifts um, as, as everyone did um, with COVID-19 um, and the plannings that we needed to make sure that we were still being mindful of what was going on in the world. Um, but a lot of the, the digital programs and, and partnerships and things that we had in place we're already in place because we were focusing on a younger demographic. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So um, something I kind of want to, you know, pick apart a little bit with the younger demographics, obviously with having the fan base supporting the Olympics, but then also the athletes as well, where, you know, that next Olympic athlete or next Michael Phelps could be a 10 year old right now and maybe listening to this podcast or seeing one of your contents or whatever it is. So how do you um, kind of plant that seed to either, encourage them to participate in swimming or a certain sport? Or could you talk about that kind of grassroots community upbuilding for, for the next uh, Olympic Games? Yeah, I think, you know, most importantly, and it even goes back to my own personal story, when we talk about youth sport, um, LA 28 has made a commitment um, as it pertains to youth sport. And we've already invested or committed to invest $160 million in sports for kids across the Los Angeles area. And so, the ability for us to help make sure that everyone has the ability who maybe doesn't have the ability right now to participate in sport, to have a positive experience in their life as it relates to sport, um, and to have that sort of ability to learn what teamwork is like. Um, all of the great aspects and benefits that come from being part of youth sport. Um, it's, it's important, not just from the perspective of how we help to grow potential future Olympians and Paralympians, but also just how we, we help to participate in, in, you know, having a healthy community and having really, you know, help, help people to have a great experience and, and enjoy what it would mean for them to experience what sport can do in your life and how sports, you know, helps to build leaders and how it helps to show you, um, you know, the ability to understand what it means to be a good team member um, and what, you know, that sometimes you don't always win um, and, and you learn what that is too. And so I think, Youth sports brings so many benefits to the table and, you know, LA 28 making that commitment to youth sports in the LA market is going to be really important for not just helping to grow um, what potentially could be our future Olympians and, and Paralympians that we will see in the games, but also just how we can help the overall youth community in, in LA. 
Mm-hmm. And, and is that those funds that you, that uh, this committee is that through like a property or a facility that kind of supports it or is what, what's kind of a, um, a case study of how that kind of the funds are put to work? Yeah, those are all things that we're working through right now. And we're mm-hmm. working alongside our partners in LA. We're working towards um, nonprofit organizations in LA. We're working closely with the city of LA. So those are things that we are going to help develop and build over the course of the next eight years to make sure that it's it's reaching the community and that we're reaching the areas um, that we need to so that everybody who's who's benefiting from that that commitment that we've made of the the 160 160 million amazing and uh, another thing interesting about this upcoming olympics is how it's uh, connected with the paralympics and um, is, is so is that correct that it's usually typically in different cities different times and what's different about this is they're you know together could you could you talk a little bit about that well, yeah, I think, you know, it, what's unique for us is that LA has hosted the Olympics. This will be our third time, but what will be the first time will be us hosting the Paralympics. Um, and mm-hmm. so the ability to have the Olympic Games take place and then following right on the heels of that, the Paralympics, and to really focus on the fact that, um, you know, the Paralympians are some great elite athletes um, that have so much um, sort of to share from not just their stories, but also from their, their level of competition that they have. And so how do we bring that forward to show, um, you know, everything from para, um, you know, from, from para swimming events to what it is for um, someone to, who has a disability to understand what it's like to have accessibility um, take place in, in the area. And so we want to make sure that we're really focusing not just on para, shining a light on Paralympians, but also shining a light on people with disabilities in the United States and, and making sure that we're also shining a light on accessibility. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think, you know, having the Olympics and the Paralympics in 2028 is an opportunity for us to use the next eight years to do just that. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, something I wanted to get your thoughts on, or specifically with uh, esports and gaming, where um, it's uh, very accessible, especially for Paralympics, but even you know traditional sports, people love gaming, and, and there's been conversations of having it, you know, as an Olympic sport. You know, not necessarily getting your opinion if you think it should and shouldn't be one, but what is your thoughts on like this esports gaming is and that trend kind of um, potentially collaborating in some way with with the Olympics. I mean, esports and, and, and gaming is something that is definitely growing. It's on the rise. It continues to be on the rise. Um, I think it's a trend that everyone is paying attention to in the sports world, regardless of what part of sport you're in. Um, we're, we're paying attention to everything, right? Because what's the unique thing about planning for an event that's eight years out is you know it you know today, but you don't know what's going to happen in eight years, right? Mm-hmm. And anybody who tells you that um, must have like a magic ball um, in, in the back. But um, we, we definitely are planning to understand what are the trends that are happening today? How can we be prepared for those? How can we consider what might be something that we should consider for 2028? Um, and that that is really an open uh, sort of door right now. So if it's gaming, if it's AR, if it's VR, whatever those... Um, sort of cutting edge technologies that are happening in the marketplace, we're, we're paying attention to all of it and we're making sure that we're aware and that we're really thinking about it um, as it pertains to the Olympics and Paralympics. And so nothing's off the table, but I'd say, you know, we're very mindful that trends that are happening today will continue to shift and evolve. 
um, and we need to be prepared to understand what that impact can be in the next eight years. Mm -hmm. Do, uh, do you have any uh, interesting, maybe bold um, trends that you think are going to be, you know, um, popping up in the next 10 years? It could be anything with, you know, athlete development, fan engagement, but anything that's like really exciting to you that you'd maybe want to predict almost in a way? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I probably won't throw out a pre prediction per se, but I would say, you know, I just, I continue to pay close attention to and find a lot of interest in how, you know, we are looking at consumption of content. Um, and that's across, you know, the channels that we know today, and then all of the channels that are yet to be sort of born and created. And so emerging, te emerging technology behind all of that, how fans are consuming that content, how they want to engage with live sport. Um, and that, you know, that's continuing to evolve. So what your live sporting experience used to be like, um, 10 years ago is so different than what it's like today. And so that will, you know, most definitely mean that it'll be very different in eight years from now. And so for me, it's really focusing on like watching how fans are engaging with content, watching how fans are engaging with live experience, and then um, trying to sort of see and understand where the trends and patterns are for what that will mean for the future. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, what's your favorite part, I guess, about uh, kind of running the marketing side for, for LA 2028? Like what's the, what are, what are you most looking forward to, I guess, leading up to the, the next eight years? I think the most exciting part is that, um, you know, one, I'd say just the macro most exciting part is you get to welcome the world mm -hmm. um, to, to not only LA, but to the United States. Um, and we get to show sort of all, all of the wonderful, amazing things that our country and the people of our country can bring. Um, but I would also say, you know, the ability for us to shine a light on these amazing, amazing athletes um, and their stories. And so I just, it, it never to me is um, something that is old or, or that could ever fade when you get to hear what it takes to be an Olympian, what it takes to be a Paralympian, um, the, the training, the effort, the stories, the, the, the commitment that is made um, for, for them to sort of hone their craft and to be the best in the world. Um, and so I think, you know, and the ability to put that on display and to show the world what, what all the effort that it takes to do that um, is, is inspirational um, on, on so many levels. Uh, I think I, I probably get goosebumps every time I, I think about it or hear about it. And, um, and every time I get to see just the amazing athletes in the Olympian and Paralympian world and, and what they do. Mm -hmm. That's a great answer. And uh, I guess the last question on my end would be, you know, what would kind of be some career advice that you would pass along to someone that's looking to accelerate their career in sports and how things have changed once you originally started to where we are now, what would be kind of your best piece of advice that you've either received or want to pass along? Yeah, you know, I think the best thing um, that you can do is to make yourself available. And so um, I know starting out in in sport for me, um, I made myself available for everything and anything. Um, if it was the smallest event, if it was the smallest role, um, if it required just, you know, 
holding a check on the court of Madison Square Garden, um, or if it required someone sort of running up and down and, and, and grabbing, you know, a tape to, to bring to someone, like whatever it was, making yourself available um, and, and knowing that there's no job that's too big or too small. And that really all of that allows you to learn and it shows that you have the passion and the interest to be part of the whatever the organization is doing. And that passion and that interest is what ultimately um, sets you apart from others. And so um, if you if you can make yourself available and you can allow yourself to um, not feel like any any one project's too big or too small, then usually someone somewhere is taking notice. Um, and there's always somebody taking notice. And, and that is usually what will propel you. Um, and then I just say, prepare. You can never prepare too much. So know your craft, um, study, read. Uh, you know, you, you can never sort of um, prepare too much. You can, you never know, you know, you'll never know everything. And so constantly educating yourself and staying abreast of everything that's happening and learning and being open to learning new things. Um, is is ultimately to me those are those are the things that will continue to propel and and push anyone forward regardless of where you are in your career um, and regardless even of what your industry is. Wow, thank you for that. That's uh, great insight and advice there. And for everyone listening, be sure to go follow LA28 on all the social platforms, subscribe to the newsletter to uh, keep up and date with uh, all the new announcements and things like that. So I'm really excited to see this play out over the next eight years. And uh, thank you for your time for coming on. Nick, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.